In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, glory be to Jesus Christ. This is the twelfth sermon in this series of homilies on the divine liturgy of the Holy Orthodox Church. We are taking our time, slowly, to study what the liturgy really is about and the very nature of Christian worship. The last thing we want to do is to come here on Sunday and just go through the motions and not really have our heart in it. That's called hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is the, one of the most dreaded sins that we can fall into, and it is the one that the Lord Jesus was most critical of in his ministry. You know, when he, he preached, he never beat up on the sinners. You know, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and, and, uh, and people like us. But he, he beat up on the Pharisees and the, law, and the lawyers and the Levites because of their hypocrisy. So we must avoid hypocrisy, and therefore we need to understand what we're doing in liturgy and why we're doing it and have our heart into it. So we started with the first chapter of Genesis. And we see how God created Adam and Eve perfect, and then they fell because they disobeyed him. And for this reason, he needed to, they needed to be redeemed. They needed to be purchased back. And so God began the process of redeeming them. The first thing we see is that he clothed them with the skins of animals. The shedding of animal blood had to take place because of the sins of men. And he's starting this pattern which he would use to teach the first human beings and finally the nation of Israel the price of sin, the deadliness of sin, the cost of sin and how he was going to redeem them. So we see very in the very beginning here God's plan and how he, he even de- describes this plan to the evil one through whom temptation came. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. You shall bruise his heel and he shall crush your head. He's letting Satan know that regardless of what happens in history, years and centuries and millenniums may go by, but eventually he will be defeated. His head will be crushed, even though he bruises the heel of Christ. All of this is to teach us the seriousness of sin. My children in Christ, we should consider this as we go through our lives, as we walk the path. There is a very serious price to be paid whenever we sin. The whole world suffers when we sin. People around us suffer. So we need to walk carefully in the light of Christ. We need to have humility to repent immediately when we stumble and fall. Get back on the path. 
continue to walk in the ways of Christ. So then we, the story goes on with the birth of Cain and then Abel. Genesis tells us that now Adam knew his wife and they conceived and had a son named Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man through God. This is a very beautiful and noble thought from Eve. She didn't just think, well, I've I've created a man. My husband and I have created this child. No, she said, I have acquired a man through God. She understood that life comes from God. That he is the initiator of creation, of all creation of all human life. And then God gave her another son, Abel. Now, Abel became a shepherd of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the land. And it tells us that now in the process of time, Cain brought a sacrifice to the Lord from the fruits of the ground. Abel also brought a sacrifice from the firstborn, from the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, the choicest pieces of their fat. And it says that the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his sacrifice. Now, why did God not accept Cain? That's a great mystery. Many people have argued about this. Why did God not accept the offering of Cain? Well, notice that Cain brought his offering in the process of time. In other words, it it appears that he planted his crops, he, he tilled them, he harvested them, and partook of them, but then at some point he gave a portion to God. And we don't know exactly when that was. It may have been what he had left over that he didn't need. It may not have been the first fruits. It apparently was not the first fruits because it does, the scriptures does not say it was the first fruits, simply the fruits. He held back from God, whereas Abel gave him the firstborn of his flocks. The firstborn. This is a clue to us of what God's plan of redemption would be. This is a premonition of the sacrificial firstborn lamb to be used for the Passover when Israel was delivered from Egypt. And finally, in the offering up of the firstborn son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn of the Father, eternally born from the Father before all time. But he is also the firstborn of Mary, the firstborn of all creation according to his humanity. And someday he will be offered up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see in Cain not only a deficiency in what he brought, but how he brought it. His heart was not right. We need to make sure our hearts are right when we come to church. 
and when we, whenever, whatever we're doing, that we walk in humility and that we have the right motive. His heart was not right, and God lovingly corrected him. But we can see in his response to God that his heart got harder. He didn't respond with humility and repentance, but he hardened his heart. God lovingly told him, he warned him, that he was heading down a dangerous path. But he, he tried to encourage him. He said, look, you're the oldest brother. He said about Abel, his his recourse shall be to you and you shall rule over him. He's telling him he's going to be in charge of his little brother. You think that would have registered in his brain, you know, okay, God's given me a responsibility here. But what is the next thing that that we read happening in this account? And things progress very quickly here. He begins to talk to his brother and he kills him. Rather than correcting himself, Cain grew in his sinfulness, adding to the list jealousy, despondency, and finally murder. So many of the passions are just packed into this man right in the beginning of the creation story. Jealousy, envy, despondency, rebelliousness. Cain is totally out of control. He's like a person driving a car down the road. Have you ever, have you ever been speeding? And you're just really looming down the road and you're just thinking about how you can't wait to get where you want to go and how great life is. Pedal to the metal. Then you hear that sound, the siren. You see the lights flashing in your rearview mirror. And you get that sinking feeling in your stomach. That's what happened to Cain. God pronounced a curse on Cain because of his sin and said that the blood of Abel was crying out from the ground. Blood is holy. Blood is sacred. Sacred to God. It's now only that Cain begins to show some awareness. Notice I did not say repentance, but awareness. God exiles him to the land of Nod. The word Nod, which means one who wanders away from God. Even in his punishment, Cain is not sorry. He's not repentant, but he rather complains to God that the punishment is too great, expressing his fear that he will be killed for vengeance by his relatives. I left out the fact that when God confronted him after he had committed murder, he shamelessly and blatantly shows disrespect for God when he asks this question, am I my brother's keeper? 
How many times have we done something like that? We said to someone, are you the boss of me? Why are you telling me what to do? Imagine saying that to the Almighty God, directly to him. Apparently, God spoke directly to Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? God had already told him he was his brother's keeper. He had already told him he would have recourse, Abel would have recourse to him and that he would rule over his brother. So he directly contradicts God. Well, for reasons that we do not know, God made a promise to Cain. You know what he said to him? Cain complained that this punishment was too severe and that that people were going to kill him. God said, no, I will protect you. I'm going to put a mark on you. This is one of the great mysteries of the Bible. No one knows, but he put some type of a mark on Cain, probably on his face, probably something that could not be covered up. But when people saw it, somehow they knew that they were not to kill him. So Cain went off to the land of Nod, he and his wife. And it appears that he multiplied in his wickedness. He was the first man to build a city. He began to organize people around him. Perhaps he began to rule as a warlord or something like that. This is all speculative, but many Bible scholars think that he was the precursor to what would happen at Babel, Tower of Babel. It says that his descendants, some of his descendants, were the first to use, to begin to shape metal, practice metallurgy and make things out of bronze and and brass, perhaps weapons of uh, war. You see how sin grows and grows. We need to nip it in the bud through repentance. Small things, very little things, can grow into big things. Cain starts this project, but it it comes to nothing. Eventually, his whole lineage is going to be wiped out in the great flood. But after this, Eve has lost her two first sons, one to murder and the other to exile. And God gives her another son. His name is Seth, which means in place of, instead of. And it is through Seth that God would fulfill his promise. It says that Seth had a son who walked with God. And so on and so on, all the way down to Noah. Next week, we'll talk about Noah and the other descendants and how God continues to reveal what worship is about, what the divine liturgy will be about someday, what the Passover will be about. We see in Seth the promise of the Messiah. From him 
would come the seed of the woman that would someday be the son of Mary, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glory be to Jesus Christ. <laughs>